Becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union could help you to earn more and save more. Their certificate options could earn you more than standard savings accounts with competitive rates. Not all financial institutions offer you as many choices for savings options as Navy Federal does. For example, you can start your savings journey with a low minimum deposit, add money at any time, and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Navy Federal also offers equity loan options to help you get the funds you need to consolidate high-interest debt, work on home improvements, or cover any of life's big expenses. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, their members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender, membership required. Terms and conditions apply, loan subject to approval. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, so whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well, what better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides and seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I'm Matt. And today we're discussing money, your brain, and buying happiness. What's up? What's up, Beth, buddy? How you doing, man? Uh, I wanted to mention, I asked you how you're doing, but then I just immediately moved on. <laughs> you don't care about me. <laughs> it hurts. How are you doing? I'm fantastic, dude. I really am. Uh, slight cold. I feel like I uh, might have a touch of the sniffles. Uh, I hope people out there don't notice it too bad, but I feel excellent other than that. Well, you look excellent. Thank you, my friend. <laughs> so um, a couple episodes ago, I mentioned how my uh, credit score got dinged because I got confused when it came to paying a payment through a credit union because they had a janky, uh, almost non-functioning website. Which we did say was <laughs> is one of the biggest downfalls to doing business Dude, with the credit union. huge, huge downside. So many positives, but there is the fact that they're running on like Microsoft DOS level <laughs> <laughs> systems. Yeah, it really is like GeoCities, but for banking. But you mentioned at the end of that little piece, at the end of that segment, you kind of suggested for me to give the credit union a call. And then a couple of days after that, I thought, man, 
I really should have given them a call. You're I, like, man, that guy Joel, he's right. <laughs> he's so smart. <laughs> um, well, I didn't because I was able to... I quickly after that applied for another credit card because I like the credit card sign up bonuses. Yet again, I talk about that too much. And I got it. So I didn't... I was like, who cares, right? But just the principle of it. And I kind of wanted to see how easy it was. And dude, it was so easy. I called up my credit union. And yeah, man, I just told them the straight up truth. I said, hey, I got a little sloppy. Uh, this is my first time working with you guys. And notice I had a delinquent payment. I was talking to the lady. She was super nice and said, all right, right now I'm going to go ahead and send you a letter. And you just take a look at that, fill it out. And basically it was a letter for disputing something that was incorrectly reported on your credit report. Right. But the problem is, is that it was correctly reported. And so I told her that I was just like, hey, I said, hey, nothing was done improperly or incorrectly. I'm just looking for forgiveness, <laughs> like some mercy, you know? And she totally heard me. It was just like, you know what? Let me see what I can do. She stuck me on hold. How was the hold music? Oh, I will say it wasn't like the big bank hold music where it's like the... <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yes, it's like... completely. <laughs> yes. Yes. Because <laughs> they couldn't afford that jump. <laughs> uh, but somebody else got on the line. like some Brian Adams rolling in the background or something. <laughs> Summer of 69. How did you know? <laughs> But they got somebody else on, dude. And within five minutes, they were like, yeah, we can take care of that for you. And I was like, wait, seriously? And they're like, yeah, don't even worry about filling out the letter. And I asked, is there some sort of confirmation number? And they said, well, we'll go ahead and send you an email. Once we, con- once we send the email out to the three credit agencies, to the three credit bureaus, uh, yeah, we'll confirm that and send that to you via email. And then 10 minutes later, I got that email as well. So 20 minutes later, from start to finish, I had that lifted off of my credit report. How Boom, cool is that? Boom shakalaka, buddy. Dude, Way to go. Yeah. So it Sorry, was... I'm doing my best NBA Jan impersonation. <laughs> and so I wanted to share that because I wanted folks to know how crazy easy it was to just ask for <laughs> forgiveness in this case, and specifically working with the credit union. We kind of knocked them last time how they just don't have a ass slick of an interface and how their controls... It's just not very user-friendly, I guess. But they make up for it in real human interaction. And because of that, I still 100% am happy with uh, that credit union, man. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I, thank you for challenging me, by the way. Of course. Yeah. I, I love that because I feel like most of the time people resign themselves to whatever it is in their life, you know, whether it's paying too much for cable or uh, whether it is something happens that they forgot about and they're like, well, I guess that's the system and I got to pay the price. And I think most of the time, right, that is the system, but you can make a request, right? You can make a phone call. You can ask for forgiveness. And the same thing has happened to me before. Let's say uh, we paid the credit card bill like two days late. I feel like every time that has happened, which is super rare, like once every three or four years, that happens. And then I call the credit card company and they waive the late fee and they waive the interest charges. And that's just one of those things that most people don't think to ask. They just say, well, I guess that's what happens. Yeah, they're just like, dang it. This is kind of how it is. And they move on with life. You know, it sounded like a couple weeks ago when we talked about that, you were thinking, all right, well, I guess, uh, you know, it's fine. It's not that big of a deal. But I'm glad you made the call because you found something out (laughs) and you found out that like you can do it. And that most people, most of the times companies will respond positively if you just, if it was something small. And by the way, well, especially with your local credit union too. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Especially with a local credit union, a company that actually cares about you because to be honest, if that was Wells Fargo, Wells Fargo, not so much. <laughs> no, nothing would have happened in all likelihood. So, yeah, I, I love that. And sometimes all you got to do is ask. All right. And Matt, I wanted to mention to you the other day I was at Costco because that happens every other week, usually for me. And they got all the Christmas toys and stuff like that out. And I noticed that they're selling smartwatches for kids. 
And that just seemed like the craziest, creepiest thing to me. And I don't really have much to say about it, except for the fact that what are we doing to our kids? How should we be thinking about how our kids are on screens, how they interact with the technology. I just thought that having a smartwatch, something that's buzzing on a kid's arm, and I don't know exactly what ages they're intended for specifically, but it just seemed like to me as you know, two guys who we, we try to be conscious about how much we use technology and then how much our kids do too, right? Like, I don't know about you, but my yeah. kids are not allowed to use smartphones or iPads ever, ever. I just don't see that as good for them right now in their developmental cycles. Exactly. But just to see that it's becoming like a new thing and that kids for Christmas are going to get a smartwatch and they'll be on their technology and attached to text messaging and Twitter and Instagram, whatever, even more on their wrist. I, I don't know. It just seemed a little yeah, scary it's kind of to me. Stuff, right? Yeah. Well, I was going to ask, how'd you know that they were meant for kids because of all the colors and... <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the colors. Well, it's the section they're in, so they're okay. not. Yeah, it's like I was gonna say because if it was just colorful, like I could see you wearing one of those and <laughs> like, oh man, I love that thing. I do, I do like colorful stuff, and so yeah, but no, it was totally it labeled as a kid's smartwatch. Right, right, I didn't even, I don't even remember how much it was, or I don't know how many functions they perform. I just thought that that trend, overall trend in general, just baffled yeah, me a little. Yeah, not so great. There was an article recently on New York Times. Did you see that article going around about kids and screens, like whether it be smartphones or tablets? Yes. Um, I thought that was super enlightening. Yeah, right? And so they're talking about how it used to be where one tablet per kid was like a huge selling point. So parents would see that and think, oh, this is the school system I want to be in, or this is the the class that I want my kid in, that, that sort of thing. They saw it as an advantage. But what's crazy with that article is that they were highlighting how the sort of more knowledgeable folks in Silicon Valley specifically that had created the technology and were behind the programming and the ones who were in charge of making it addicting <laughs> and satisfying to be on your phone to like hit the refresh where it's like a slot machine, right? They're the ones who are not allowing their kids to be on tablets. They're the ones who are pushing for reform within the school systems to not have any sort of technology like that to force kids to talk to each other <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> and to like, respond to their teachers. I feel like that was a thing too, where Steve Jobs was the kind of the first person where that kind of came up, where he was asked about his kid playing on an iPad back in the day. And he said, what are you talking about? I would never let my kid use yeah. one of these things. <laughs> and that's kind of the general trend in Silicon Valley is the people that create this technology to keep us addicted. They're not letting their own kids play on they're phones like, or... Like, are you crazy? Yeah. They're not letting their <laughs> own kids play Fortnite or download those apps because they know you know what it does and it turns how it turns us into zombies. And so, I, yeah, I thought that was a really enlightening article just from the standpoint that the people that create these technologies aren't letting their own offspring participate. Yeah. And for me, I mean, it, it makes me think <laughs> twice about how much I let my kids engage with those things. I don't want yeah. them to know what an app is yet, you know, when just in kindergarten and, and stuff like I want them to be to be blissfully ignorant for quite a while to come. And I thought the kids smartwatches was like this opposite point. Yeah. Where it's we're a slippery slope, man. Yeah. We're technologizing our kids to death at the same time. So interesting stuff. Yeah, and interestingly too, we're gonna we'll kind of get towards some of that at the end of this episode. But we talk about we're talking about happiness to a certain extent, and that's just a, a distraction. The technology, the screens, the games, the apps, all like all a lot of that are distractions, and they're things that promise happiness. And uh, yeah, by the end of this episode, I think we'll we'll kind of get to some of the things that actually do provide happiness and how you can't actually buy it. But if you could, you would buy a beer because <laughs> beer makes you happy. And let's tell everyone what we're drinking right now. So our buddy Andrew donated a beer for the show that he brought back from Chicago. It is Mars Brewing. Mars Community Brewing. Oh, yeah. 
Mangifera Flux. And this is a Berliner Weiss with mangoes and brett. So we will tell you more about this magnificent mango beer at the end of the show. All right, man, you want to kick it off? Yeah, buddy. So let's get into this money, your brain and buying happiness. And you kind of just alluded to it. Buying new things makes us happy, right? Always. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. For a minute. And there's a concept that we really want to broach today on the show. And it's called hedonic adaptation or the hedonic treadmill. And I feel like this concept can help us frame uh, an understanding of what buying happiness looks like well. It helps us understand the effects of consumption, how we buy, and it kind of helps us come to grips with some of the potentially unhealthy cycles that we have with spending, assuming that it will move the needle on our path to happiness. And so I think delving into an understanding of this concept will help us do better at thinking about our spending and then prioritizing saving for the future at the same time. So let's go ahead and define it. Hedonic adaptation is the tendency of humans to quickly return to a pretty stable level of happiness despite major positive or negative events uh, or life changes. And also too, so that's the hedonic adaptation. If you want to think about the hedonic treadmill as like you're moving forward, like it seems like you're making progress, uh, like you're moving towards happiness, but when in fact you're stationary, like you're not moving anywhere, like in in relation to the things that you are around, you're not moving anywhere, even though you're putting forth effort to move forward, you're just kind of doing all that in order to just stay in the same place. And we're going to sort of relate that to spending and happiness. And oftentimes, that's when you do hear about hedonic adaptation. It's specifically in regards to how we register our own happiness and and the things that we do to to get there. And so, for example, if you make more money, your expectations or your desires for things or whatever it is that you like, those also rise. They rise in tandem with you making that more money. And so because of that, you have the same amount of happiness, right? There's no net gain. There's no gain in happiness. You're, you're sort of stuck there. And it's also important to keep in mind too that this is sort of a theory, right? Like this isn't necessarily like a law, but it's something that scientists and researchers have seen. But you know, you can't really, like, really prove it. <laughs> yeah, there have been a few studies done on it that I feel like help frame this concept for us. And it's yeah, not certainly not like an apple falling on your head from a tree. Yeah, yeah. It's not like Newtonian in that <laughs> it's way, not but like gravity, but yeah, it's but, it's not it's not 100% biological science or anything. But right, right. there are it, it certainly makes sense, I feel like from a human experience standpoint. Oh yeah. And it also makes sense based on some of these studies that have been performed and we'll get into some of those a little bit later on too. But I don't know about you, Matt, just literally from a human experience standpoint, I have often found myself in the past buying something thinking that it was going to satisfy a need or that it was a need, that it was a legitimate need, right? Then and there for me, making that purchase, thinking it would move the needle. And ultimately, I forget that I even ordered it. And then it shows up on my doorstep and I'm like, oh yeah, it's that thing I ordered. (laughs) And, and, And then I try that item of clothing on or I use that item, whatever it was, or I eat that piece of food, whatever it was, shipped to my door. And... I completely forget about it pretty soon after the fact. Right. So yeah. so in the end, it didn't really move the needle on right. my happiness level. No, that's true. To any meaningful degree, uh, although there were little bursts, yeah. right, where I thought it would. Yeah, sort of like a sugar rush, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, I specifically remember that more poignantly as a like a kid. I can't remember if I was saving up my own money or if I had convinced my parents to buy me this slingshot, like a serious slingshot. Like it had a extra bar that went over your forearms to kind of like stabilize it and it had a, like a sight on it it was like part crossbow part slingshot was this your red rider bb gun is that what that was yeah sort of it's sort of like that <laughs> moment but i was so stoked about that thing and how i was just going to be able to like walk through the woods and start shooting squirrels shoot out of trees. stuff exactly and 
the freaking band on the thing broke, man. And maybe we should have taken it back, but I think maybe I was too embarrassed to like tell my parents because I had so much of my hope and like my ambitions of my happiness set on this object. And I quickly, you know, sort of found out that this wasn't at all something that was satisfying. And I didn't want to make the trip back to the PX uh, to return that thing. You know what a PX is? Nope. Ever heard of that term? Uh-uh. It's like on uh, military bases. It's uh-huh. like, you know, I grew up, so my dad was in the army uh, when I was growing up. And so we would go on post to the PX. There's, I don't, I don't think there's any sales tax. That's why it was always cheaper. It's sort of like the Walmart, I guess, for the army base. I don't know. They had everything there. You could go there and even slingshots. Yeah, ex- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Especially slingshots and like pocket knives, man. So Matt, let's talk about that study that we referred to uh, about relative happiness. And it showed that lottery winners were no happier 18 months later than their counterparts, than people that didn't win the lottery. And so that, it's super interesting study that followed these lottery winners. They had a control group, and then they had this group of people that won the lottery. And they kind of tracked their happiness levels over a year and a half. And it turns out that the people that won the lottery, their happiness certainly peaked, like that sugar rush that you mentioned, immediately after winning. Right. But the levels of happiness soon thereafter, kind of reverted back to a normal state. And people that didn't win the lottery, right, they didn't have that sugar rush spike, but their levels of happiness remained relatively constant as well. Yeah, they're at the exact same place 18 months later, which is insane to think that, right? <laughs> right, right, right. It's and, and actually, the thing is, I've thought about this a lot, just especially with recently, we had some really high lottery oh, jackpots. Oh, yeah, that's right. A couple of folks won it, right? And everyone in like, the office is talking about, <laughs> do you play the lottery? Are you buying tickets? You know, There's a lot of like water cooler chatter about it. Yeah. And Honestly, I would never play the lottery and it's not because I'm too cheap to buy a ticket. It's because I think lo- winning the lottery is actually worse for you in so many ways than, than it's better. Yeah, that's um, probably true, man. Yeah, I think if you won the lottery and everyone found out about it, everyone would treat you differently. There's so many negative side effects of having crap tons of money that people come out of the woodwork and they want to... <laughs> you'd probably be asking for a loan right now and yeah, I'd be like, uh, Matt, I don't want to talk like, about Joel, it. Joel, you're going to cover beers again, right? <laughs> beers on Joel. Exactly. Okay, what if you could win the lottery... Like nothing insane, but let's just say a million, right? What if you could win the million dollar jackpot and it was secret? So no one knew what would you do? Like, was there like one thing that you would change in your life or would you switch it up completely? No. So I think too, I've thought about that. I think if I won the lottery, the the amount of things that would change in my life would be relatively small. Yeah. I think you and I've talked about this before. Yeah, actually, this kind of sounds familiar. If we won the lottery, (laughs) I don't think we've talked about it on the show before though, but if we won, if I won the lottery, my life would be incrementally better in the points that I care about. Yeah. So for instance, we've talked about the why of money in that episode. I mentioned a few things that I prioritize. So I would probably prioritize those things just a little bit more. You'd get two pieces of folk art every year instead of one. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I would take two awesome international yeah. trips every year as opposed to one. And so that it would be that sort of incremental change mm-hmm. because there's not really much in my life that I want to change. That you're doing now that isn't already making you happy. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's kind of my thought process behind it. I think that's a really good place to be too, because I know that there are a lot of people that are, you know, have hard financial situations where that would make just an amazingly big difference in the way that they can live. Yeah. But then again, for those people, oftentimes, as you, as you see reported out, who start off uh, with very little money, win the lottery, have all that money, and then wreck their lives, basically. Yeah, they completely wreck <laughs> their lives. They, they 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 throw it all away. They spend it quickly. Uh, they buy things that then they can't afford the recurring costs on and it it damages yeah. their lives irreparably in the end too so well i probably would buy a tesla i'll say that so <laughs> 
Oh, that's a good call. All right. You probably want to get Tesla too, right? I might, have, I might have to do that. Yeah. Actually, Emily and I were driving the other day and I saw one on the road and I said, you know, in about 10 years, we're going to have one of those. <laughs> because in 10 years, th- that model you will think be... everybody's going to have one of those in 10 years, basically? Well, the, they will just be, have become so much cheaper. Yeah. It'll be like a four-year-old Honda Accord. It's like you see them everywhere. And the technology is going to improve so much that a 10-year-old Tesla, nobody's going to want it at that point in time. So that's probably true, man. Kind of like nobody wants my six-year-old Nissan Leaf right now. Just slap a new battery in that Tesla, get to go. That's what I'm talking about. Oh man, I can't wait. So back to that study. It was a 1970s study about lottery winners. It turns out they were no happier 18 months later than they were when they had actually won the lottery. That's right. So just realize and keep in mind that those things won't give you that ultimate happiness. And keep in mind that needless consumption just won't make you happy. So here's what we're not saying. We're not saying that you shouldn't reach for a better job or that you shouldn't attempt to try to make more money. No way. Those are worthwhile goals. We're just saying that they're not going to move the ultimate happiness needle. And that also applies to the little things as well. If you're used to keeping your house cleaning like in-house and doing it yourself as a family, well, once you step up to hiring a professional cleaner every month, you add in that cost and that convenience, well, it's really hard to go back. But after a while, it just becomes routine. You get used to having someone else clean your house. And that's another example of hedonic adaptation that adds a cost into your life, brings you a nice little burst of happiness, but it doesn't really have that same effect month after month as it did initially when you first made that change. Yeah, that's that can also be called lifestyle creep, right? We've talked about this before. Um, and so these are ways that hedonic adaptation can be a negative thing uh, when it comes to spending and your lifestyle. After the break, though, we're going to talk about how hedonic adaptation can be a good thing or a necessary thing. Tell me more, Matt. Uh, I will, after the break. (laughs) I guess I'll wait then. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you to get there? Well, there are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. What about that dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, your health and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash wisefriend. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000-plus five-star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Kachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Kachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Kachava. Just go to Kachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money 
I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach. Do. Every single summer, we've already got that trip to St. Simon's on the calendar. Pumped for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app Monarch, they make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney. For your extended 30-day free trial, go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. All right, Matt, back from the break. And just a second ago, we talked about hedonic adaptation. We brought up this big concept. We talked about how it is similar to this treadmill, right? That we make an incremental change in our lives and we feel like we're happier and then boom, it dies off pretty quickly and we ultimately haven't gotten anywhere in the process. Exactly. So let's talk about how hedonic adaptation can actually be a good and necessary thing too. That study that you mentioned earlier about the lottery winners. So in that very same study, they also focused on severe accident victims. uh, So like paraplegics. And they found out that they were no less happy 18 months later than the control group, like the folks that were not involved in an accident. Yeah, that's crazy. Isn't that to think, insane? That's crazy to think that someone that went through such a traumatic experience that you know lost limbs was no less happy uh, eighteen months later. That you would think too something like that that's completely life changing in the negative would result in a loss of happiness over time, right? Yeah. But to think that it has that even flip side coin effect, it all just bounces out. Yeah, yeah it all bounces nuts. out. Yeah, it's so I, obviously I'm not recommending. I don't think either of us would say like this is a good thing, right? To right. to lose a limb or anything like that. But it is a fascinating concept, and it was there, this study was done back in the 1970s. And so just just to think that interviewing these uh, paraplegics over time, that their happiness was obviously after the event was precipitously down, but over time it didn't suffer and their happiness rose back to kind of normal levels. And that's just a fascinating thing about the human mind, the human brain and the way it's wired. And what it is wired to do is to withstand trauma, 
that is the good part of hedonic yeah. adaptation, right? <laughs> that we can withstand trauma and kind of result back to a baseline sense of happiness. We can see something crazy and utterly horrific and kind of go back to living life, right? In a normal way. And and to me, that, that, that just kind of blows my mind that we're wired in that way. But just knowing that, right? Just knowing that knowledge is power in that way to kind of see that this is how my brain is wired and we can see the positives and then we can also see the negatives and we can adapt accordingly with that knowledge. Yeah, most of all, it just shows like the resiliency of like the brain because it's the brain that's making these decisions, right? Maybe not actively, but it's the brain that's saying, okay, we're going to kind of keep an even keel here. Another term used to sort of describe hedonic adaptation was sort of like this emotional thermostat. So that anytime there's like an extreme or not even extreme, but like one way or the other from where you wanted it, that it would adjust and just kind of bring it back to the sort of this baseline. And so after enough time, like you said, man, like you adjust to the things that you do just regularly or the things that just happen to you. And so it essentially just becomes the new normal. And so in terms of money and spending, like, like we're talking about, if you're consistently being frugal, instead of it feeling like you're depriving yourself and doing something that's painful you eventually view those frugal choices as normal. And then the more expensive and lavish choices that you used to make, those then become the sort of abnormal way of doing things, the things that just seem foreign to you. Yeah. And so we recently had the episode, are you frugal or are you cheap? And we talked about that concept. And we essentially, Matt, you and I, we held up the the value of frugality. And we said, that's a really important thing to adopt. Yeah. And being cheap is not a good thing, but being frugal is. And... I think one thing, though, when people hear the word frugal, they, they ultimately, one of the first words that comes to mind is the word deprivation. And they think, if I'm frugal, I'm depriving myself of the things that are actually going to bring me happiness. And I think what this concept of hedonic adaptation brings to the surface is that you're not foregoing happiness by being frugal. What you're doing is you're adapting to this way of normal uh, and you're realizing kind of what's true about yourself, right. that those other things that you're pursuing that you think will provide you happiness aren't going to, and so you're foregoing them. You're choosing instead something that is simpler and something that allows you to save more and find more financial freedom in your life. Yeah, and all that to say that initially there might be some pain still, right? Like that initial, like after you say the, like, no, I'm no longer going to purchase this, like they're sort of like with the accident victims, maybe like there might be an immediate decrease in what they would consider happiness. But then after that, it levels out, right? Like, you know, we still have emotions and there's still sort of pulls and draws to like, I want to go buy that Tesla or, or whatever it is. But what's amazing, and this is what we're talking about, is that the mind is able to sort of reconfigure and adjust to that new point. And like you said, it doesn't become deprivation anymore because you have told yourself, no, this is how I'm going to live my life now. I am in charge of my own spending and frugal becomes the new rallying cry. It's, it's just, it's sort of the new motto that you follow and, and that's what you're all about. All right. Since we're already like talking about science, right? Like in hedonic adaptation, we're talking big words. Well, let's talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs because there is a basic level, right? That you can't make cuts to that and you can't adapt. There are these basic needs that you have to meet and you can't say, well, you know what? I'm going to starve myself for weeks on end and assume that my happiness level will just revert to that basic mean. And that's, that's just not the case, right? There are these basic needs that you need to have met. And if you don't have those things, there's just no amount of adapting that can make your brain be able to understand having a lack of things like food shelter, clothing, safety, and love, right? Yeah, and even like this more sort of intangible uh, emotional thing. Yeah, you can't deny yourself those things and then think you're going to adapt. 
Yeah, so ultimately, we're not talking about right those baseline needs that are innate to every human being. The concept of hedonic adaptation and the hedonic treadmill doesn't apply there. What it does apply to, what we're talking about in reality is how we consume, how we spend, and how we think about upgrading our lives, right? There's kind of a sentiment out there in popular culture, I think, that when we get a little extra cash, or even if we don't have the cash, we need to upgrade ourselves, upgrade our lives. And if we upgrade it in this way or that way, and make our lives just a little bit better here or there, even if we don't have the money, there's a sentiment that that's okay. And what we're trying to push back against that. And we're saying, no, 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 think about this concept of hedonic adaptation. Anytime you're thinking about you know, increasing your lifestyle in a meaningful way, buying a new car or you know, getting a bigger house or just those little purchases that you make on Amazon that you think are going to gratify you. And ultimately you forget that you ordered it and it shows up on your doorstep and you're like, oh, I, yeah, I guess I did order that thing. That is what we're talking about. Those are the ways that you can kind of use this concept of hedonic adaptation to your benefit. That's exactly right. And that's what we're talking about. So like hedonic adaptation, we like earlier, we're talking about how it's negative because you get used to things just from a consumption standpoint. And now we're talking about hedonic adaptation being a good thing because you can use it to, you know, to your own advantage. Specifically, uh, try spending less and then just notice that you'll get used to it. Plus, you'll be more happy by saving more of your income. Because of that, you're going to be more prepared for financial disasters. And so because of that, you'll have less stress. And then in the end as well, you'll be working towards financial independence. And that's the end goal of trying to be smart and wise with your money and your spending. Uh, yeah, another thing practically to consider is to delay your purchases. I think it's really smart for us to take something like a two-week gap between the I need it phase and then clicking the purchase button online or going to a store to buy what you think you need. That's a good rule of thumb. So yeah, think about instituting that sort of gap in between something that you say that you want and the time that you actually make the purchase. That can prevent you from buying something that is impulse and that leads to that sugar rush of happiness, but ultimately doesn't move the needle practically in your life. Plus, you don't want to have just food showing up on your doorstep like it does at your house, dog. I know. It's weird, right? <laughs> uh, and another thing too, Matt, a lot of people, I think it's become so easy for us to buy things today. Uh, just one click to purchase on something like Amazon. So maybe ending your Prime membership, even though you like it and, and you feel like it does serve you well in some ways, maybe that's actually the smart move for you because it would prevent you from the, these sort of behaviors that you think are maybe making you happy. But when you actually take stock, you take a step back and you think about it, they're not making you happy. Right. So maybe actually kind of giving a buffer for yourself by not having Amazon Prime, maybe that could actually help you out in the long run. Worth noting that happiness levels in the US are not increasing despite big increases you know, in wealth, living standards, technology, just all the stuff that we have. And so what that means, though, is that our stuff and our circumstances have little impact on our happiness. There are studies that show that we control roughly 40% of our own happiness, which is huge, man. 50% is our set point. And so typically that means it's just determined by our genetics. It's just kind of built into who we are. And then the remaining 10% is what's controlled by circumstances. So those are the things that are a little more outside of our control. But yeah, that's just amazing that we still have control over almost half of our own happiness. All right, Matt, after the break, let's get into those specific things that will increase our happiness and they'll also help put our finances in better order too. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? 
Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you to get there? Well, there are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. What about that dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, your health and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at AARP.org slash wise friend. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000-plus five-star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Kachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Kachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Kachava. Just go to Kachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money i'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans we always like to get the families together matt for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer we've already got that trip to saint simon's on the calendar pump for that but sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host, or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app Monarch, they make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney. 
for your extended 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. All right, man, like you mentioned, let's go ahead and talk about those specific things to increase your happiness. And these are things, again, that don't involve that mindless spending and consumption. The first thing I wanted to mention was appreciation for what we already have. Dude, what I love about this is that this is almost the exact opposite of hedonic adaptation. This is focusing on something rather than taking it for granted and just letting it fade into the background. Yeah, and so what I mean by that, though, is to savor the things we own. And, and like savor seems like a weird word to say, but experiences that we get to take part in in our relationships, these are things that you want to not just take for granted and just assume that they're always going to be there, but just really focus on and really enjoy you want to hang on to the happiness that you already have right there, uh, right there with you, dude. And specifically, like, do you read about the Stoics or anything like that? Like that branch of philosophy, and I don't, I don't know much about it. The Greeks. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I know a little, but uh, definitely don't don't delve into it too hard. Yeah, I, I haven't either. But what I've specifically uh, learned is really helpful for me is to do this thing that Stoics focus on, which is called negative visualization, and it is a way for them to practice appreciation and to focus on something that they have that they feel like they're taking for granted. And you do that by imagining that you don't have that thing or that like something really terrible happens to that thing, right? So whether that be like a relationship, right? Like imagine something terrible happens to your wife (laughs) or just, you know, just imagine you don't have a wife and what your life would be like, or say you're kind of getting fed up with your job and you're kind of complaining about it, but... Or imagine I started a new podcast with Dave Ramsey. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and left you behind. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Think about how terrible you would feel if uh, if you actually did that. <laughs> but no, it's it's sort of removing from your mind uh, the experiences that you have of something that you already have and imagining how terrible it would be if that thing wasn't there in your life. It's just a way to focus on the things that you do have. Yeah. And for me, man, it makes it really tangible and it brings to light the things that I do have, like the you know amazing blessings I have and you know the amazing family and just everything like right <laughs> pretty much everything that, that i have if I, if you think about it long enough you're like man this is actually a fantastic thing and it can be something that i've been complaining about or something that i'm fed up with and if i wrap my head around it properly you really start to appreciate what it is that you have yeah that's a really good point actually and that's not something that i feel like that i i have never really thought about it like that the negative visualization aspect but two things i feel like my wife and i do try every night with our girls to ask them and get them to to talk about one thing that they're thankful for uh, based on that day. And I yeah. think it's a really good practice for all of us because then I have to think of one too. And some days I'm like in a really bad mood and I don't want to. But it's, Daddy doesn't want to think tonight. <laughs> yeah, Daddy's not happy. It's really good for me every day to have to think and call out loud and say it and talk about it with my girls. Something I'm thankful for because I have so many things to be thankful for. And then another thing, the other day actually, Emily and I had to talk about this because I feel like I was maybe complaining a little bit about one of our tenants at one of our rental houses. There was just really, I don't think any need for me to be grumbling like I was about the circumstance. It was pretty minor after all. And ultimately, those rental houses have been so good for us as a family. They have been so good for our ability to kind of live life on our terms, the way that we want to live. And, And so it just, I don't know, talking about that with Emily after my grumbling kind of allowed me to have a different perspective on the tenant and kind of on the good thing that is that rental house and what it means to our family. So it wasn't necessarily this concept of negative visualization, which I think is really interesting. It's like a step beyond appreciating, right? Maybe a little depressing. (laughs) I don't know if I'm going to do that, but at least just thinking about what am I grumbling about? Why? And 
it, am I grumbling about something that in actuality, like, can I think about the positive side of that? Because yeah, for me, that was just huge this week. Yeah. Just to kind of think about that problem uh, from the complete flip side of like how good I have it. And I think that is a really good way to, to change your mindset, especially when you're grumbling or, or complaining. Oh, and oftentimes I feel like it is a conscious thing. Like you have to consciously do it. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, you're not going to naturally want to do that. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so you have to write it down or something and put it, put it in front of yourself in the morning maybe so that you're reminded to do that or put yourself in the path of others that are going to remind you, right? Like my wife, it, she does that for me well. And hopefully I do that for her well, that if, if she is you know coming to something with a bad attitude, I can talk to her, not in a chastising way, but hey, well, think about this. And you know what? Remind each other of the good things that we have because as humans too, right? It's easy for us to get bogged down in those negative feelings and having each other to bounce something off of and to help us to think about something in a new way. I think that's really important too. All right, man. So that was appreciation, which is awesome. Something that you have uh, control over. And so some additional factors and things that do create real happiness that you can change are things like meaningful work. And when I say meaningful work, I think a lot of times the first thing people think of are, oh, I need to go ahead and quit my job and get like a real job that I really feel fulfilled in. And I think there's a lot of people out there that have jobs that they would say aren't great. But like you said, if you're mindful about it and if you're conscious about it, you can within that job, find meaning within that job you can find uh and sort of decipher like how through this am i serving other people how am i helping people and that's the sort of thing that we talk about when we're talking about meaningful work yeah you can think about the positive things that your job brings you even though it's not necessarily the dream job right that you want it to be and it's also helpful to look at the the bright spots right the the good things that do happen whether it's just one thing that day that was good that happened at your job or one great interaction that you had with a coworker. I think that's a good way to kind of put a spin on a job that maybe you're a little tired of or bored with. That's kind of a good way to help you reframe, right? The good things that your job is currently, um, even though maybe it's not necessarily the dream job that you've always wanted or that you're super excited to wake up and go to every, every day. So true, man. Another thing that we have control over are our relationships. At least we have a lot of control over the input, right? The things that go into relationships. And so be embedded in good relationships. And this includes, you know, friends and family. You need to make sure that you're in a a nice tight community where you feel understood and where, you know, you're able to help others and others are able to, to help you and pour into your life as well. Yeah. And we also have a whole episode on the necessity of community where we kind of extrapolate that concept further. So you can go check that out in our backlog as well. Back in the archives, man. <laughs> so try and grow and invest in these relationships, right? And try to do that too by engaging uh, with other folks without being glued to your smartphones. Yeah. We talked about the whole smartwatches thing earlier and just screens in general and how distracting they can be. It's sort of like this just sneaky thing that's like weaving its way into our relationships where you're not seeing the other person for who they are. And then ultimately what that means is like you yourself, you're not being known. And what that leads to are just sort of shallow, unfulfilling relationship. So keep tabs on that. Another factor that leads to happiness in your life that you have a substantial amount of control over is good health. There are so many studies connecting our physical bodies to our happiness and doing yoga. Uh, taking a hike, bike riding, right? Like we love bike riding. Those kind of things are instrumental to your good health and in turn, your happiness. 
Yeah, what about yoga, man? You uh, you've been doing yoga recently. Oh, you're gonna let everybody know that. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> All right, so yeah, you mentioned that. So definitely not a yoga pro yet, uh, but my my wife's super into it, and she's kind of been asking me to go. Hey, will you like go on a Friday morning before work? Go to yoga with me, and so I've given it a try a couple times. I'm really digging it, man. Yeah, you like it. <laughs> I feel like it's really good for a couple of reasons. I think it's you know good for my body, but it's just like so good for my mind. Like we were talking about with smartphones and stuff like that. There are so few times where I don't feel just completely connected. Uh, and like that yoga hour is a time where I'm completely disconnected from anything except for you know, my own mind and my own breathing. And so it's it's been it's been really fun to kind of do that together. And uh, and so, yeah, I don't know. I would recommend yoga to people. And you know what? There's like the stereotype, too, I think, for dudes that yoga is for women. Maybe I'm wrong. I feel like that stereotype is changing. Yeah, and, and a lot for, of dudes in there. There were a few. There were a few. <laughs> uh, but I would tell any guy that's hesitant or that thinks that it's not for guys, you're wrong. And it's totally for guys and girls. It's just such a good experience for your mind and your body. Yeah. Highly recommend it. I just think it'd be awesome for everyone else that's there actually with you that gets to watch you try to stretch because, you know, you're like six foot seven or whatever and trying to see you bend over and actually touch your toes might be hilarious. (laughs) There are certain questions that my wife asked me. She's like, did you hear the instruction correctly on that? Because <laughs> you weren't really doing what you're supposed to be doing. We are all facing that wall, buddy. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, I'm pretty inflexible. Um, and some of the moves I have to kind of... But you're working on it. So keep it up. Yeah, I'm working yeah. on it. We'll get there. I'll get there. <laughs> and lastly, man, uh, you have control over your purpose, right? The things that drive you, the things that you make time for. Figure out what those things are and make sure that you're doing them. Things like hobbies, And also too, sort of like, again, like I mentioned, what drives you financial freedom, like that's for us, a big why behind why it is that we save and why it is that we invest and why we spend less. Yeah, I think when we bring it back to right, Matt, that concept of hedonic adaptation, we think that maybe working a little bit more uh, to make a little bit more money to buy a few more things, right? That that kind of treadmill, assuming that those things will be the case, a little more work, a little more money, a little more consumption, that that will lead to happiness. That's kind of the treadmill that we're saying you need to jump off of that thing. That's right. That is the scary thing that there, there is no end to it, right? There is no end to that sort of mindset and finding your purpose, making time for meaningful hobbies and exercise uh, relationships and work and, and, and important work that is meaningful. Yeah. Like those kind of things are life changing. And so I would recommend anybody that's listening right now to maybe stop after this episode and write down some of those things that are meaningful to you. Do the work of kind of thinking about it and putting pen to paper because that's how you're going to make a meaningful change and jump off the treadmill of like a little more, a little more, a little more. And I think probably Matt and I would both admit that for us, this is difficult too, right? You kind of do that natural brain shift, right? We talked about for good or for bad, whether it helps a paraplegic recover after an accident or it hurts a lot of winner and their happiness level is just the same 18 months later as it was before they won the lottery. That sort of way that your brain works, well, it's got good and bad. And Matt and I would say it is easy to get on the treadmill and it takes a lot of work and conscious thought to hop off. And hopefully after this episode's done, you can take a little bit of time to kind of think through some of these things and what brings you actual meaningful happiness in your life and make some changes. Yeah, man, a lot of what you're just saying right there, 
is the why behind money. And that's an actual episode. We spent an entire episode talking about what it is that drives you. What is your why behind money? And that is so essential and so core to the decisions that you make every day when it comes to your spending. And lastly, if we're going to continue the sort of treadmill analogy is being generous. And to be generous and to give your money away and to spend it on others, it's sort of like hit and reverse on the treadmill, right? Because instead of like going full speed forward, just to sort of stay in the same spot, what you're doing is doing the opposite. So yeah, try to give of what you have and think about what good you can do with your money. So seeing the needs of others around you and in your community is a much, much healthier lens to look through than comparing what you have or what you don't have to your friends or your neighbors. I love that, buddy. I feel like the hedonic treadmill is almost kind of... Got to flip it? Yeah, I feel like it's almost this myopic thing where you're looking at yourself, really, in oh, the yeah. mirror. That's all it is, right? Yeah, and, and the opposite of that, probably the number one way to combat that, right? Maybe creating a list of all those things that, like I just talked about, but, but then the other thing is being generous with what you have. Yeah, because being generous with what you have is this great way to kind of combat this natural instinct to want to accrue more. It just completely reframes things and it gives you just a proper perspective on life, humanity, community, and what actually matters. Yeah, I almost see it as like an antidote to like selfish spending and just consumption, commercialism, just everything sort of gross and bad out there, right? <laughs> Trampling people for $150 TV yeah. on Black Friday, right? Yeah, it's the exact opposite. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right, man, let's get back to this beer then. Uh, this was the Mangafera Flux, and that is by Mars, M-A-R-Z, Community Brewing Company out of Chicago. Yeah, and our friend Andrew brought this beer back from Chicago uh, for us. Yeah, so man. thanks, Andrew. What would you think of this? It was really good. I tell you what, man, I think mango beers are where it's at. Not a huge fan of mangoes themselves. You don't like mangoes? Like the fruit? I think it's the texture. It's kind of slimy. Yeah. Like you slice it and it's still stuck together. You're like, why is it still stuck together? Yes. <laughs> so I don't really like to eat mangoes, but mangoes it and beer... It has adhesion to itself. <laughs> it's like the perfect beer fruit. Yeah. So it's a bottle conditioned Berliner Weiss with mangoes and brett. And that brett gives it like a nice dryness. But with the mangoes there, nice little fruit, little fruit touch to the end of it. I really dig it. Yeah, it almost had like a champagne effervescence too. Oh, uh, yeah. So that was yeah. kind of nice. It was nice and bubbly right when you were pouring it. Yeah. Yeah, so I'd never had anything by this brewery before. And uh, Mangafera Flux. I would recommend it, man. Really good. All right, Matt. Final thoughts. Hit me with it. <laughs> we talked about how hedonic adaptation can be a bad thing. We think that buying things make us happy, but it turns out it's more like a sugar rush and it doesn't lead to ultimate happiness. So really just understanding the concept and the reality of the treadmill that we're on, that's the place to start. That's right, man. Like buying that quick little thing, you think it's going to improve your life. But in reality, your happiness level comes right back down to that sort of baseline happiness. And because of that, hedonic adaptation can also be a good thing. Because if something negative were to happen to you, if you give it enough time, you're also going to readjust. And before you know it, you're going to be at a point to where you feel close to the same amount of happiness that you did before that terrible event were to happen. And so ultimately, you want to use this concept of hedonic adaptation or the hedonic treadmill to your advantage in spending less money. If you kind of realize these characteristics about your brain and the way it works, it helps you to combat that and fight the urge to spend more, realizing that those little sugar rushes of happiness that you get from a quick purchase don't really move the needle in the long run, and that changing your habits can actually lead toward more long-term happiness by creating real financial stability in your life. 
That's right, man. And so one of the ways that you can bring that long-term happiness is appreciation. And what I love about this is that this is this truly is the complete opposite of hedonic adaptation. It's savoring the things that we own, the experiences that we get to take part in, and most importantly, our relationships. Hang on to that happiness that you already have. I love that concept, my friend. It's just so good to sit back and appreciate you know, the good things that you have. And good friendship... Man, that's like at the top of the list. Are you savoring our relationship right now? Is that what you're thinking of? It's very instant. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, buddy. <laughs> so also being generous, that is the other main antidote to that hedonic treadmill to get you to hop off by giving of what you have, your time and your money in serving other people around you and meeting needs that exist in your community. If you live a life of generosity, it's kind of like throwing a wrench in that treadmill. The electronic parts have to like fizzle and spurt and sparks are flying. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and, and, and so that's kind of the way to get yourself off of that crummy treadmill life, right? And getting into something more meaningful. Plus running on a treadmill sucks, man. Have you ever run on a treadmill? Dude, I try to avoid running altogether. <laughs> like if I want to run somewhere, I want to go get outside and actually run. Running on a treadmill is terrible, in my opinion. I feel the same way about stationary bikes. Yes. I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, don't get it at all. Get outside. Yep. All right. That's going to be it for this episode. Thanks everyone for listening. Our home on the web is howtomoney.com. Check it out. We'll have some show notes up there for you. If you like what you hear and you found this podcast helpful, please let us know by giving us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. We'd love to hear from you and be sure to subscribe while you're there. Until next time, man. Best friends out. Best friends out. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mentioned that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's Upswell marketing.com. Open a limited time 11 month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org/cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. 
So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.